Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, Suns fans? Justin here, and with me as always is my podcasting partner, Paul. You get mozzarella sticks when we're done with this. And that sounds delicious. I know, right? Wow, sidetracked. Okay, and welcome to this episode of Fanning the Flames, your one and only Phoenix Suns podcast that has a Robert Sarver supporter on its panel. Have you looked at our Twitter feed in a while? Yeah, have you looked at it in a while? (laughs) No. Yeah, that's right. Check it out, bro. Um, we're made for the fans, that's you guys, by the fans, that is us. As always, intro and outro music is provided by Oceans Over Airplanes. Check them out over at OceansOverAirplanes.com. Give us a follow on Twitter, I'm at so says Jay Paul At Dervish of Whirl. And the pod is at FanTheFlamesNBA. If you listen on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or anything else, rate, review, and subscribe. Are you changing it back, Paul? No. <laughs> Paul just discovered that I discovered that he changed our Twitter name to... Robert Sarver is a bloody wanker. And I simply added a not conveniently in there. That's it. So, anyway, Paul. Yeah. Let's get down to basketball right off the bat. Brass tacks. Brass tacks, baby. We've been, we've been gone for a bit because it's summer. And there's not much. Yeah. You know what? The eight other 87 Phoenix Suns podcasts cover whatever minutia you all want to listen to. Yeah. Frankly, I don't want to listen to most of it. I just want the season to start. Can we get there? Can yeah. we get there? Can we get there? Yeah. But. 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 Because we're contractually obligated to provide at least some content. <laughs> are we? We are. We are. I'm pretty sure we're in, sh- we're in breach of it. But it's fine. It's fine. We haven't been called about it yet. But we figured we put out something. We're going to give you our take on the minutiae that is the NBA offseason. That is August. That is August. <laughs> but it's going to be much more minutiae because it's going to be very, very important, hard-hitting topics that you all want to hear about. This might be the most optimistic podcast of the podcast of optimism. For the record, Paul said that. I did not say that. Paul said that. So Good. This is the most optimistic period of the NBA season. Teams are set, mm-hmm. basically, but it's a new year, so hope. anything can happen. Hope springs eternal. Hope Augusts is, is eternal. Yes. Yes. So we're going to run down a hope few summer's eternal. different topics here. We're going to talk about starting lineups. Yep. We're going to debate whether Kelly Oubre or Mikhail Bridges should be starting for the Phoenix Suns this year. Or somebody else. Is that an option? Sure, why not? Why not? And then we'll delve into, assuming one of those two is starting, the other one is a sixth man. 
who the first man off the bench will be. Then we'll After you, the sixth man. Then we'll give you, yeah, yeah. Also known as the seventh man. The ever-important seventh man. Maybe <laughs> Ever-important. Maybe they should. How like, deep will the, will the roster go? Maybe they should create like an award in the NBA, seventh man of the year. Yes. Might as well create 13th man of the year. Because I think, you know, like, you know, Mr. Irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Relevantly Irrelevant. He the would Pat be Burke the, Award. He would be the most relevant, irrelevant player. It would be the Pat Burke Award. Pat Burke was relevant, okay? Pat Burke was relevant. Was he? He was. Anyway. And then we'll we'll delve into, we're going to go throw some predictions for the upcoming season too. Maybe even bold predictions. Who knows? Maybe even spicy predictions. I don't know what that means, but yes. Yes, that too. Okay. So, Paul, let's delve into topic A. Topic A. So, let's all agree that certain... Members of the Suns starting lineup are set. We've got Ricky Pretty Eyes Rubio. Mm-hmm. We've got Devin Booker. Uh huh. Not going to give him a nickname because he's just badass enough. He doesn't need one. Yep. We've got DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton, and we've got Dario Saric. Right? Is Saric set? Okay. Let's, let's, like, I'm just saying. You tell me. Because well, cl- clearly the small forward position, which you allude, you spoke to for a minute ago, is clearly the position that could that is the most up for grabs. But is there a possibility here that Bridges and Ubre outplay Saric and they both start? No, no, I don't think so. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it's out there. Just... It's a possibility. Could Frank Kaminsky start? No. <laughs> could DeAndre Ayton play power forward? Mm. 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 Could mm. Shek Diallo start? No. Although, Could Cam although, Johnson al- start? Al- although, 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 I, this is completely off the cuff because didn't put any thought on this at all. But the idea. <laughs> Did we put everybody in the no, no, not really. But the idea of let's say let's just say Aiton does what I know he's going to do and extend his range this year. Uh huh. And he's already shown he's a he's actually got skills as a perimeter defender more so than an interior defender. A four or five of Aiton and Baines starting. Hmm. 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 That's interesting. Anyway, that gives us no depth at center. None. Zero. <laughs> Zero. It, it allows Nada. Frank Kaminsky to play his true position of stretch center. Can't we just have DeAndre Aiton play like forty three minutes a game? Isn't that not plausible? Hey. LeBron's done it. He did it for like a decade and a half. Anyway, okay, Anywho. we'll save that topic for next episode. Okay, okay. But so let's we get back to let's Sarge get back. Probably let's start. get back to Ubre versus Bridges. Yeah, at the starting three. Yes, sir. There are certainly reasons to have either of them starting that yes. position. Paul, if you if were I, a certain Mister Monty Williams, yes. Who would you have starting at the three? I would go Mikael Bridges. And why is that? Because if you look at the rest of that starting lineup, outside of Rubio, you don't have the greatest defenders in the world. And even with Rubio... Even with Rubio, there's he has slipped a little bit in that area. Could he come back? Hopefully. I mean, he's still under 30. He's still, um, you know... Got a lot – hasn't really started to like lose a step yet as far as I can tell. But um, 
Booker's not a great defender. He's clear, currently statistically a bad defender. I think a lot of that is a lot of some external factors that as the team improves, he will his statistics will improve. When DeAndre, you say external factors, the rest of the team sucked. Right, and I think and, also and his usage on offense, mm-hmm. he had to conserve energy. I think his usage exactly may go what down, I was getting at. and which will allow him to present. Um, plus, there's also the argument that um, because the rest of the guys sucked around him and the team sucked, like he's like, do I really need to try here? Is this like the best use of my energy? If everybody else is trying, I'll try, but. They're not. Isn't that kind of the same thing, though? Yeah. Because, I mean, you're talking about how much he would exert himself on defense for right. one reason or another. Right. I don't like the way you put it, though, because it makes him sound like he doesn't care. I don't say that it's not, it doesn't care, because I think, I think it's more he made the choice of, they need me on this end, so I'm going to be a little more less focused on the other end. Actively choosing that. That's not the message I got from your yeah. point of view, but I get what you're saying. So anyway, anyway, it, continue, continue. So not that Kelly Uber is a bad defender, but Mikhail Burgess is a better defender. Fair. Plus, he is not a ball-dominant player by any means, and we already have two guys on the roster, or in that starting lineup who will be pretty ball-dominant in Rubio and Booker. Plus, Aiton's going to need his touches. So, really, Saric and the small forward are basically going to be guys spotting up in the corner, spreading the floor. So, assuming Bridges can improve his three-point shot to closer to what he had in college, because he was only a a 33% three-point shooter this past year, if he can get it closer to 40%, like maybe like a 38% percent range he can be he's a true threat from there that teams need to worry about so be from that standpoint i think he can be fit more of the your favorite player bruce bowen role oh why would you say something like that minus minus the intentional attempts to injure players minus the intentional attempts to injure players then i can accept it but was bruce bowen much more than that i feel like a lot of his defensive quote-unquote ability, I just did air quotes, was because people were worried they were going to get hurt taking jump shots against right. him. So with that, that's my position of why... Well, part one of my position of why I think Mikael Bridges should start speaking to Mikael Bridges. Speaking to the other side of that question... Kelly Uber, Kelly Uber. he has a name. I know. I. You don't have to demean him. I didn't mean to demean him. I brain farted. No. <laughs> Go on. So I needed a second. Um, he is a pretty potent scorer. I mean, after the All-Star break, after he became a son, he was averaging 20... He averaged 20 points the rest of the season before. Um, so, and with the rest of that bench, there isn't really a lot of scoring there. I mean, Tyler Johnson can put up some points, but I mean, he's not a scorer scorer. Um, you know, uh... Who else we got? Uh, Frank Kaminsky, he's what, averages like 8, 10 points. And his scoring is really kind of dependent on other players who can create. Um, Aaron Baines isn't a scorer. Who is, he's then, Steven Adams light. He's Steven Adams light. And I don't even know who plays the two. That's a whole other question. You know, is Ty Jerome getting the spots at 
minutes at at point guard and and Johnson shifts plays more of the two guard. I don't know. So from that standpoint, there's not a lot of scoring there. And putting Bridges in that means there isn't a lot of scoring period in that lineup. So my position is to flip that because you want to have that scoring punch off the bench. And that allows uh, Ubre and what he brings with that energy to, one, be a nice boost when he does become that fir- that sixth man and first comes off the bench and, like, the rest of the team's a little winded. And here's this guy who's just a giant ball of energy flying around the court doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And the, re- the other team's not really ready for it. And so that's really my position there. Well, well okay. And <clears throat> I get the idea of wanting to have a little more of a dynamic offensive player in that second unit. But counterpoint, you install him into that second unit. Yeah. That's one offensive player. And this might just be something where we're like, well, it's the Suns. This is what we have. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't that allow opposing defenses to just focus in on him more and perhaps thwart his offensive ability? Well, here's the thing. I don't expect it to be hockey lineups. Sure. So, I mean, the amount, the minutes where the court is truly just those five guys... You're going to be, what, maybe four minutes the entirety of the game? Yeah, four minutes, a lot can happen. Four minutes, a lot can happen, yeah. But if you stagger it appropriately, you can arguably avoid that. So what I hear you saying is as long as Monty Williams can manage his rotations appropriately, yes, you get the defense of Mikhail Bridges in the starting lineup, you get the offense of... Kelly Oubre mm-hmm. in that second unit, at least initially, and then you get hodgepodges of a combination right. throughout to right. help offset the potential that that second right. unit, when that first tra- that that first substitution occurs, is not going to shit on the entire game because right. of lack of offense for a few minutes. Right, exactly. And so, I mean, when you look at it, when when Kelly Oubre comes in, who's the guy? Who's the first? Who's the first guy who sits? Like, here's a question. That's like a legitimate question. When Kelly Oubre comes in, is it Mikhail who's sitting, or is it somebody else? Is it Saric? Is it is it Rubio? Do we do we shift Booker over to the point and then Bridges cut, shifts to the two? Oubre is the three. That's actually a pretty dynamic lineup in for spurts. Yeah, it very well could be. Now I mean, you, not, you could run into some matchup issues depending on who you're playing and who their four is, if you're saying that Ubre is going to go into the four? No, I was saying Rubio sits first. So then Booker goes to Booker goes, goes to, the, to one, Bridges goes oh, to two. Oh, and then Ubre, Sarge is still in there. Sarge is still there. Then when Sarge sits, Johnson comes in, then Ubre would be at the four. That's interesting. But, you know, just flip it around, give a couple different looks there. Um, That's interesting. And, I, and And you know what I think will happen is whoever ends up being that starter versus six man because I, I as much as we can sit here and debate whether or mm-hmm. not the four that we rattled off are going to be the starting four I think those four are going to start and right. it's really going to come down to Bridges and Ubre starting at the three right. I think a lot of it's going to depend on who we're playing in a given yeah. night when you look at okay who's the first man off the floor right. for that six man coming in right and I guess the other question question for you is I mean would do you think we'll ever see any kind of 
um, like odd lineups, you know, like maybe do like two bigs because maybe they're playing against, you know, like the Lakers or or another team that or like the Pelicans who have so like a, a larger than average front court. But because I mean that goes to some philosophy of do you match up to the team you're playing against or do you force them to match up to you? And are and are the Suns good enough to for, try to force teams to match? match up to them or do they have to ma- have to have a fighting chance match up to I, the I think whether or not the Suns are going to be good enough is going to depend hugely on what kind of steps some of these players take. Oh yeah. Like if if oh, yeah. if Ubre suddenly shows more of the ability to cover a player that's a 2 or 3 or a 4, sure. Mm. If Aiton shows the ability to stay outside more on offense if needed, then mm. sure, maybe you get some of those Aitons at the four, Baines at the five lineups. Right. Um, you know, the thing that the Suns have done a good job of, and when I say Suns, I mean James Jones, is putting together a group of guys where you have a number of players that can really transition between different positions, particularly if these players start to step their game up, like those two I just, I just mentioned. And then I think when you talk about bridges, I'm looking at ESPN right now. You know ESPN, for the Suns' depth chart, has their starting power forwards as guess. Suns, Suns starting power forward? Yeah, on ESPN.com. Based on their current roster? Based on their current roster. And it's roster. not Dario Saric? No, it's not. Was somebody high at ESPN? I think so, based on what I'm looking at. Are they putting it as Frank? No. Really? Nope. I need to look at the Suns' roster again. <laughs> No, let's just say that the universe of people we've been talking about include the starting four on ESPN.com. Is it Uber? Nope. I'm Here's a hint. It's not Booker and it's not Rubio. Yeah. Is it Bridges? Yes. As the four? As the starting four. He's he's six seven. You can't have a starting power forward who's six seven and two ten. I mean, Draymond Green can start as a power forward. He's six six and like 280. You really want Bridges going up against LeBron? Hold on, hold on. Is Draymond Green 280? There's no way. He's. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, 280. Zion's 280. Zion's 280. Okay, he's like 250, maybe 260. Let's see here. Hold on. I'm looking this up. Well, and then again, he was fat last season. He had to lose 25 pounds before he got good again. Draymond Green is. Draymond, please. 6'7, 230. 230. He's only 230? 280? You went with 280? That's where your mind went. I'm 230. He looks... He's... Let's pull... (laughs) I feel like we've gone over this a number of times on this podcast. Please stop comparing yourself to NBA players. Well, I'm just saying. He's six inches... Seven inches... A foot taller than me? And... I also like how you just went (laughs) six inches, seven inches a foot. I I had to back into the math. (laughs) You're five seven, Paul. No, I feel like that's not, not right like either. Jesus Christ! You're the me. worst accountant ever. <laughs> CPA, excuse me. All right. So anyway, off of your opinion and onto my opinion. All right. We we decided something before this podcast, and that is we're going to stop agreeing on stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and say that Kelly Oubre is going to start. Okay. Reason it's number one is money. You're paying a guy two years, thirty million bucks. You're paying him to start. When Ubre and they were going through that salary negotiation, I would venture to guess there was something in there that, at least discussion, obviously not contractual, but right. suggestion that he would be the starter. 
And does that mean it can't change? No. Does it mean it really matters? No. But I think when you talk about NBA players, there's a certain sense of pride that comes with being a starter. Right. And I think Ubre would want to be a starter. Right. I think he's a starting caliber player. The second thing goes back to what I was kind of referring to, and you brought up a good counterpoint to my counterpoint, and that is you take him and put him in the second unit, even initially, it's going to have, I think, a negative impact on his offensive capabilities, his offensive production. Now, you keep him in that starting unit, then you have multiple guys who can score. I mean, you have Booker, obviously can score. Aiton, we know he can score, especially when he asserts himself. Sarich, for the role that I anticipate he's going to have on this team, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna put up a decent numbers this year because the guy can shoot, right? And he's there to space the floor. Mm-hmm. I think this is particularly true. And when I say this, I mean Ubre starting, being a positive. Particularly true if Aiton is able to extend himself a little bit more. Okay. Because then you have Booker who can score from wherever. You have Sarich, who I think is primarily going to be a stretch guy. You have Aiton, who can, if he extends himself a little bit, can do a little bit of both. And you have Ubre, who can penetrate to try to score, create his own shot, or he can shoot from the outside too. Right. So I think you look at it from the perspective of, okay, so many times last year the Suns found themselves in such deep holes, right? How do we counter that? We try to make sure that we get out to it decently put our best guys on the floor to try to put the team in a position where they're in the lead you bring in bridges off the bench and even though you lose a little bit and i'm going to assume that Ubre steps out for bridges right. even though you give up a little bit offensively then you still have those other dynamic scores or you know a couple of potential dynamic scores and sarich and playmakers just and playmakers shot, shot creators, yeah. yep on the floor with Bridges, hopefully kind of keeping everything even keeled as far as the defensive side goes. Right. I you put Bridges on whoever it is, that's their best score, assuming it's not Anthony Davis. Right. um, Or LeBron James. Shit. Oh, wait, the Lakers don't have any other players on their team. That's right. I forgot. (laughs) My bad. Um, (laughs) Uh, and they have players. They're just not. Well, they good. have human beings on their team. They got yes. Danny Green. Danny Green. They got. They got Demarcus Cousins. Actually, well, I don't know who their point guard. Let's assume that oh, yeah, their point guard is going to be LeBron James. I, I do think the Lakers do have the potential of being really good this year, assuming Demarcus Cousins doesn't at some point this season try to murder LeBron James. I don't see those two getting along. And I don't know if they're friends. Maybe they are friends. I don't know. But they've never been in a locker room together. Right. Well, that'll that'll be an interesting dynamic. Back, so back to your back to your point. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see Ubre as a starter for all the reasons you said. And with if the Ubre for Mikhail is the switch that's made, it does it can allow for a similar situation to occur where Ubre is comes back in. Will be will also be be the first starter to come back in. So he can provide that scoring punch with that bench unit. Right. Maybe not for the whole time, but then you just stagger that with like it's either like, Aiden or Booker coming off or whatnot. It's so. like the opposite effect of Bridges coming in 
to kind of keep everything even keel with the starting unit. Right. Then when things start to turn over, you have Ubre doing the same thing with some less capable offensive players. Exactly. I feel like we're making a ton of sense right now. We are. What do you think? We are. I just asked you that after you already answered that. Mm. Yep. Okay. So, all right. Anything else on this topic, Paul? On the topic of rotations and whatnot? Yeah. Yeah, I do have a question. Oh, okay. Question. How much do you think our rookies are going to play? Well, let's, let's. I feel like that's a topic that can be discussed for quite a bit. So let's do something before we get into that. Let's take a quick break. Good idea. Since, Paul, you wanted to get into rookie playing time, yeah. let's go ahead and get into rookie playing time. Let's do this. What, what, what do you have to say about rookie playing time, Paul? Well, I guess I, I'm, I'm not sure how much they're going to play. I just, I really don't know just because, I mean, when you start thinking about rosters and rotations and whatnot, both of those guys, they're already down in the, like, 10th, 11th man at best on our rotation. So, like, really, how many minutes are these guys going to get to, you know, really get into the rotation, kind of prove their mettle as players? I mean, particularly with the idea that we drafted for experience, we wanted guys who should be able to play right away, and then we're not going to allow them to play. Because, I mean, you can we are we rattled off six players of like just talking about the six man discussion. Then you got Tyler Johnson's going to get a lot of minutes. Kaminsky's probably going to get a lot of minutes, and Baines is going to get a lot of minutes. That's nine guys. You're looking. Most teams don't really go much back past ten. So, can Cam Johnson, can Ty Jerome fit in there? Honestly, weirdly, I can almost see Jerome having a shot at getting minutes sooner and faster than uh, Cam Johnson does just because of what position he plays and where there are needs. Yeah, and, and you know I'll agree with you on one point there, and that is that Ty Jerome could end up getting minutes quicker than Cam Johnson. Yeah. I, however, don't think that Cam Johnson's going to not get into rotation at some point. But I'll say this. I think Ty Jerome's going to end up playing more of the season – than Tyler Johnson. Really? I do. Really? Yeah. Is that because you don't see Tyler Johnson being on the team? In part. I, I, I do believe that when we start getting near the trade deadline that Tyler Johnson is going to be a key potential guy to trade. Um, I also look at it from the perspective that Tyler Johnson just didn't really have a future here with the Suns. And, and you, not just you, but he's identified as a point guard, but is he really a point guard? No, he's a combo guard. For the type of offense that, when you bring in a guy like Ricky Rubio, mm-hmm. you're clearly looking for your point guard to have a certain role. I think that Ty Jerome would fit that role, especially mm-hmm. considering he was lauded as the best pick and roll guy coming out of the NBA draft this year, right. than Tyler Johnson will. I could very easily see Tyler Johnson giving up minutes to Ty Jerome um, before before anybody else is giving up minutes to Cam Johnson. Right. Now, at the same time, I, I, I can't say this because obviously we haven't seen the dynamic on the court or in any other realm between James Jones and how he wants to operate his team and Monty Williams and how he wants to operate his coach. Mm-hmm. But they drafted Cam Johnson for a reason. Right. And it could very well be one of those things where you're looking and saying, okay, well, Ubre, Bridges, Saric, Kaminsky, all those guys, when you look at the 3-4, three, 3-4, four, three, four, even, 
would presumably come in front of, of Cam Johnson. But let's say you want to really get a shooting unit out there. Right. Again, we haven't seen Cam Johnson, obviously, in the NBA, but we know what he did in college. Right. And, and, it was, and it wasn't a small sample size, and he's got height. I could see a situation where you need a shooting lineup out there. You're going to put Cam Johnson in there in front of Kelly Oubre or even and, – and, and Mikhail Bridges just because – You could have Frank run center and Cam's at the right, four. Right, right. If you really want a shooting lineup out there. And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, and that is James Jones has done a good job of putting together a roster, at least on paper and based on what we believe and what we can expect and what we hope for, that has a lot of versatility. Exactly. <laughs> You've got guys that can shoot and that can play multiple positions, and you got, you you have guys that are better suited in certain situations than other guys. I don't know much about, candidly, don't know much about Cam Johnson's defensive ability. But I'm going to assume that if we're looking at a fourth quarter situation where we want a lockdown defender, Cam Johnson won't be the guy. But if we're looking at a fourth quarter situation where we want somebody that can hit a shot, Cam Johnson might be the guy. So I, I, I think we need to look at this. And it's funny. I say this after talking a few pods ago about how with Igor, one of the issues was him not figuring out rotations and whatnot. But we're looking at a situation, I think, where you can plug and play a lot of these different guys based on the situation. And maybe it's not even so much rotation related, but instead is just situation rotate, rotated, situation related. Right. And I mean, and that all that makes sense. And I think the difference between Igor last year and what Monty's got to work with this year is Igor mismanaged rotations but he was also dealing with it. Like you had to be perfect in your management rotations to get something out of a lot of that roster last year. Whereas the, the floor is higher on this team just based on talent, like known talent. Um, so you don't, you don't have the potential for disaster as much. Well, and I think he also, you if know, you're not perfect, Monty is also, sitting with a roster where I think he's not going to have to sit there and go, barring injury, of course, right. sit there and go, okay, who's going to start where, save for perhaps the discussion we've already had. Um, and and even, even in that regard, even aside from the discussion that we had and what you were bringing up as to the potential of maybe somebody else starts at the four or whatever, mm-hmm. you still kind of have an idea of who you want to run out there. Right. Whereas you know he can go to war with yeah. Whereas Igor was like, okay, who am I gonna start at point guard tonight? Yeah, is it gonna be who am I gonna start at the four? One of my many threes. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I think having the baseline <coughs> of saying I have a better idea who my starters are going to be helps with the whole rotational aspect of it because you don't have to worry about juggling minutes or thinking, okay, well, I started this guy tonight. Now, when I'm looking at rotations, that guy's out of this particular rotation because he's already in with the first group, if that makes sense. Right. I think the floor, as you, as you, as you said it, the floor being higher 
and the potential of this starting five being a little more set in stone. Very soft, malleable stone, perhaps Mm -hmm. like a limestone, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's very malleable, right? Yeah, pumice. I think that... (laughs) You're welcome. I think think that, (laughs) that, that that's going to help him be able to really determine where he wants to put guys in particular spots. Right. So, and and if he manages that well, then, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I probably said it before the last two seasons also. Maybe even the last three, probably not three seasons ago. That was pretty hopeless. But I think that the Suns are in a position, if Monty Williams manages everything well, and playing time injury-wise isn't horribly affected where they can do something that they're going to surprise people with how successful they can be this year. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think sadly, I think my biggest fear about this season is the idea that the Suns will improve, but because of the way the West is stacked, it's not going to look like it. And we're and the Suns are going to get the same amount of, Shit from media, national, particularly national media, going about. Oh yeah, they're they're still the, they're still the, the sun. You know the shitty suns who don't know what they're doing or not because they're, they're only thirteenth in the West. Even though their record, they you know they improved by double digit wins over the prior season. You know showing something, but they're just because of the way the, the um. The conference is stacked. That I mean, it's a, it's a legit possibility. Um, I mean, there's also there's a lot of there's a lot of potential malleability in the West this season. But I, if it shakes out the way it's theoretically predicted, your Suns are kind of outside of drastic leaps. They're kind of in a um, sadly not showing, not being able to show a lot for even. A lot of improvement just because they were so bad comparatively last year. I mean, the number of the 14th team in the West, they were 14 games behind the next team. They could they make up 14 games. They're still last. But if the national media, let's be honest, the national media doesn't even pay attention. Who cares about the national media? Who cares? Who cares? And on top of that. I don't think the national media is going to get off the Suns until they freaking win a title. But no matter what, the national media hates Robert Sarver and they like shitting on the Suns. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line. The Suns could make the playoffs this year. I don't think it's going to change much about the national I th- media. I think if the Suns if the Suns went from dead last in the West to making the playoffs in one year, I think it would change a lot. I think I think Booker and Aiton would get the recognition they deserve. I mean, Aiton was Aiton's rookie season was comically underrated, historic. But but the perception of it was comical. Fair. Like, even within Suns Twitter, the way people treat his rookie season is pathetic. It is. I love this, Paul. Go on. Just I'm gonna I sit mean, back. He was. He had a great rookie season, except except for the fact that there were two other players who statistically had better rookie seasons. And I have a lot of questions about their ability to keep that going forward. Is that 
does that have anything to do with the fact that for the past three seasons now, Luka Doncic's shooting stats have fallen every month of the year? That may play a minor factor into it. But so you got Aiton from that standpoint was basically the forgotten, forgotten first overall pick. I mean, Anthony Bennett got more press when he was because he was a disaster of an overall pick of a first overall pick. And I mean, like the way even the way people are on like Jaron Jackson Jr.'s jock over Aiton is I'm like, what are you looking at? I mean, I get the the people who are just so much more about potential than actual true production because Aiton has potential and he produced. Right. Ja- Jaron Jackson Jr. didn't do that, but you would rather have him. And then obviously, obviously everything with with Booker from a standpoint, I mean, of like the, the whole good, good stats, bad team guy. I, I know what a good stats, bad team guy looks like. Looter in a riot. A looter in a riot. Yeah. I know what that guy looks like. I don't think that's Booker. I think he's been in a shitty situation. And yes, he has been putting up good, good stats in it. And I actually commend him more so for how well he was actually able to do that when he was the only thing anybody, the other team even really needed to care about. Yeah. Well, and let's look like this. Going back to Aiton. Okay. Let's go back a few years here. Let's just run through the most recent number one picks. And there are some fantastic players in there. Absolutely. And on top of that, with with the Aiton thing, while you pull that up, it's just like, I think the how the league has gone away from bigs in recent years, pri- primarily because of like the Warriors and whatnot. Bigs in general are discounted as to their value, and I I can see the pendulum switching shifting because there are more elite bigs coming into the league. You know, starting with Towns, Embiid, Aiton, Jaron Jackson, they're going to be more of a factor, mm-hmm. and. The production these guys are are putting out there is being discounted because they're not perimeter players, and perimeter players are the ones who are sexy. Fair. Well, okay, so what I was going to say was let's look back and just think about the perspective that people had on the previous number one picks after their first season and compare that to Aiton, the perspective that people have versus the stats that he put up, Okay. Last year, or last year, 2017, Marco Fultz. You even play? You didn't play. Yeah. Right. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. Now he's pretty much a cast off. He's on Orlando and... 2000, 2016, Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Not without his doubters after his... When, once he started playing. Right. Right? Because he sat out, what, his first year as well. Right. right. 2015. Okay. Cat. Yeah, he, he had a solid rookie year, right? Freshman year, solid. I was going to say. Rookie, he was he was rookie of the year. Rookie of the year. Let's see here. His rookie season, he went for eighteen point three and ten point five. Aiton went sixteen point three and ten point three on a team where he had another focal point of the offense right. and was not asked to do much and had to deal with hey the crappy. Carl Anthony Towns had. Jimmy Andrew Butler. Wiggins. No, he didn't have Jimmy oh. Butler then when yeah. he was rookie. Right. So, yeah. Speaking of Andrew Wiggins, 2014, <laughs> Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> 2013, Anthony, Anthony Bennett. Bennett. <laughs> 2012, Anthony Davis. Okay. Yeah. 
Sure. What did Anthony Davis do his rookie year? 13.5 and 8.2. Really? Mm-hmm. And he won rookie of the year with that? Mm, sure, did he? Pretty sure know. he won rookie of the year. That sounds about right to me. Because I don't know who else was in that class. That wasn't a great class after Anthony Davis, if I remember correctly. He did not win rookie of the year. He didn't? Did he go down injured? Let did Dame win rookie? I don't know. Say something so we don't have dead air. Well, but I mean, <laughs> if you look back at that, though, like, uh, looking back at the last, what is that, seven, eight years of first round of number one overall picks, the ones that were successful or have been successful have been the bigs. And so it's just really interesting for me to just kind of see that how discounted the or like if if Aiton was drafted where Carl Anthony Towns was, what would the perception of Aiton be as a player if he had the same if he did everything he did this year in that same role? Right. And like, how would he be thought of as a player going forward? Whereas right now he's literally forgotten. As a player, because it's all, it's the Luca and Trey show. Who are you just talking about? Aiton. No. Brooklyn. Uh, and Anthony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Duh. How did we forget this? Michael Carter Williams won Rookie of the Year. Oh, that was that year? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. No. Excuse me. Year before. Damian Lillard won Rookie of the Year. Either way. I was right. He didn't win. Okay. Um, and then, okay, we'll go did, back. Did he get injured or something? Or was, like... Jesus, Paul. I'm sorry. I just... I don't know. I don't remember that season specifically as to why he didn't win rookie of the year. He and his rookie year played 64 games, so maybe. But still, nonetheless, point being, when you compare him to rookies of the year of recent memory, mm-hmm. he's up there performance-wise right. with yeah, he's guys who are best players now league. superstars. Yeah. Yeah, people are like, "Oh, he sucks." DeAndre Ayton, he's not tenacious enough. I would like to see him get a little more angry. Yeah. But, I mean... Let him get his feet wet a little bit. Does Anthony Davis really have a reputation of being tenacious enough? Does... Does Carl... Actually, it's hurting Carl Anthony Towns now. There you go. You know, they're they're getting on him about, you know, being a little... Maybe being a little too soft. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe just... Maybe the hype cycle is just gotten that far ahead of it that they're just getting eaten now. Right. <laughs> Wait till he destroys everybody this season and next and then see what they're saying. That's right. what I say. That's Espe- what I say. Especially Paul. when the other two guys have sophomore slumps. Exactly. Exactly. I like how you say the other two guys. Let's the, not say the, their the, names. The, those perimeter players. Yeah. Alright. So let's take one more break and then we'll get into some more fun and exciting Perfect. Phoenix Suns content. So let's jump in to a little bit more discussion about this upcoming season. And what I want to do now, Paul, is you and I both make one, two, three, seven, twelve, however many bold predictions for this upcoming NBA slash Phoenix Suns season. All right, let's get spicy. Let's get spicy. My bold prediction is that for the first time in his career and the first time for the Phoenix Suns since 2011-2012 when a certain Mr. Steve Nash did it, Ricky mm. Rubio is going to average more than 10 assists per game. I would love that. Yeah, me too. And I don't think that's 
that out of the question? I don't think so either. That's why I'm making I mean, it. Well, I, if you look look back at his stats from like Minnesota days, because I well, I guess the 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 problem with that is we don't know what Monty Williams' offense is going to be. I think we know that Monty Williams' offense is going to involve Ricky Rubio being Ricky the Rubio. creator slash distributor and relying on other guys to score. And I think when you look at the starting lineup, whether Bridges or Oubre is in the starting lineup, right. there's plenty of potency on offense there that's going to allow Rubio to excel at what he's best at doing, and that is creating for other players. Right, particularly one DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, absolutely. And and you look at the dynamic there. I mean, even outside of Ayton, obviously you have Booker, and if, if you're looking at, okay, let's run some pick and roll with Ayton. If the defense covers it well and you got those guys, those two guys covered up, you're assuming that one way or another perhaps somebody is sliding off of another defender or excuse me, another offensive player, and that presumably is going to be either Booker, Saric, and or Bridges slash Oubre kick out. Those guys can catch and shoot, catch and drive. Either way, you're looking at an assist for Ricky Rubio. And his career high is 9.1 assists per game. What year was that? 2016-2017. So ironically, not too far off from this current season and also his last season in Minnesota before he went to Utah. What did he do in 13-14? 13-14, he did 8.6. I mean, Rubio's here. I'll just rattle him off. From his rookie year, his six seasons in Minnesota, it was 8-2-7-3-8-6-8-8-8-7-9-1. Hopefully we get more of that. And I, I'm just, I was just looking at a blast from the past here. Uh, one uh, Nikola Pekovic. Okay. He was uh, Rubio's center. He had did not have near the offensive capabilities of uh, our, our young prince DeAndre Ayton. Our young prince. And in the, I asked specifically about the thirteen fourteen season because between the twelve thirteen and thirteen fourteen season, Pekovic averaged sixteen point three and seventeen point five points. Those were like the heights of his career. career. Aiton is already doing that. Right. Now give him a point guard with the creativity of Rubio. Right. I would be surprised if he did. Okay. Um, here's my, my first hot take. Okay. I would be surprised if Aiton is, is averaging less than 20 points. Oh, I like that hot take. He averaged 16.5. What was it? Something like that? 16.3. 16.3. And they didn't put any offensive load on him. Right. Like he averaged sixteen three, just taking getting dump offs and some lobs and things of that nature. So now you have a with very subpar point guards and Devin Booker getting him the ball. You get him with an elite passer who, as well as Devin Booker, as well as having Kelly Oubre out there, as well as having even Dario Saric, who's also an underrated distri- uh, like passer. Get, being able to get him the ball in space to convert it, I can I to only have to increase a l- under four points to get to twenty. I easily see him being able to make two more shots a game. Right. Well, and look at it like this too. Take a guess, Paul. What DeAndre Ayton's usage rate was last year? 
13%? It was 19.1%, which is higher than you thought. But when you compare that to other bigs, and this is according to cleaningtheglass.com, he was only in the 69th percentile. Right. right? So he had, yeah, he's not carrying the load. Exactly. You bump that up a little bit, and I can very easily see that statistical category, his points, increase quite easily. So you said first. That indicates you have additional. I do. Do you have any other? No. No, that's pretty much all I have. I bring very little to the table. Okay. Um, Well, because that that hot take did just kind of come out of the conversation. It was not my... Pre-prepared oh, hot well, take. Well, uh, okay. So five thirty-eight. I don't know if we we did we did speak about this a little bit, right? Um, five thirty-eight has their projections. Their way too early projections for 2019-20 season. They have the Suns improving to thirty-five and forty-seven. Okay. Still thirteenth in the West. Sadly, but that's a. 16, 15 game jump, 16 game jump than what, 16. From, from what they had last mm-hmm. year. If the Suns show that kind of improvement and Devin Booker maintains, at minimum maintains his current stats on the efficiency he had this past season, I think he'll be an all-star. So you're, ooh, I like that. So your hot take is that Devin Booker will be an all-star. Yeah, I, I, I think if the Suns are able to show that much improvement and actually be compete because with the the way the the way that uh, five thirty eight has the Western Conference stacked up, it is very very tight. I mean, you're looking at no team is expected to have more than fifty eight wins. You're looking at four or like the the lowest record is thirty three. So the f- five through ten. You're looking at 49, 48, 44, 43, 43, 41, 41, 37, 35. That gets to the Suns. That's very tight. And, like, injuries come into play. Some team gets hot. That can shift pretty quickly. You know, that's not a lot of ground that needs to be made up at any given point in the season. And so the Suns would be in a position that, you know, even even though by record they may be like the worst, but they're still technically in the hunt for an actual playoff spot. Right. I think that would begin to shift the conversation about the Suns. I mean, it's not going to say, oh, they're good because they're still a below 500 record, but, oh, they did a lot, you know, and that puts them. And so I think with that, that would then shift the conversation about Devin Booker about the is he a looter in a riot? Is he just a good stats, bad team guy? Is can he actually win? You know the the one defense the Utah Jazz fans have about D- Donovan Mitchell over Booker is he's on a winning team. Think thanks to his point guard, yeah, Ricky Rubio. Yeah, but they replaced Ricky Rubio with Mike Conley. So <laughs> but I'm saying, yeah, it was thanks to his point guard. It was. All of Donovan Mitchell's success is thanks to Ricky Rubio. 100%. 100%. Hot take. 97%. He's going to be Andrew Wiggins next year. <laughs> I like that hot take. <laughs> I like that hot take a lot. Um, I guess I guess I could throw another hot take out there. I think I already said this earlier, but I think Ty Jerome's going to end up playing more than Tyler Johnson. I do. 
I do. I think that based on what you saw Ty Jerome do in college, you put him into this Suns team, I think he's going to have just as much of an opportunity to flourish as Ricky Rubio is going to have, albeit without the level of experience and without the, uh, without the talent level. Mm-hmm. Maybe not without the talent level. I don't know. We don't know what Ty Jerome's going to do. I can, I can see Ty Jerome. I don't know if he'll play more than Tyler Johnson. I mean, maybe if Johnson's traded, you know, around the trade deadline or whatnot, so then Jerome ends up filling in those minutes. But I can see the two of them playing side by side a little bit. Just, you know, Jerome's a little smaller, but he's a very good shooter. So maybe you let Johnson run the show on the offense and Jerome's running around screens a la kind of a J.J. Redick. You know, yeah, and be, that, be, being that shooter, being that <laughs> knockdown kind of guy. And, and that is one thing that I think has been discussed not enough because when you talk about the Suns draft class and the shooting ability, it's always focused on Cam Johnson, and rightfully so. Right. Ty Jerome ain't no slouch. No. Not a slouch at all. Not a slouch at all. So, all right, Paul, any other hot takes, bold predictions, spicy takes, as you said? Pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. That's a that's that's mm, I disagree. I actually really enjoy pineapple pizza. I really I enjoy. Really it's, enjoy. It's it's a, it's it's a blasphemy to the most perfect food ever. All right. Well, agree to disagree, my friend. Agree to disagree. So, last thing we'll cover okay. on this episode Uh-oh. is we very haphazardly, much like we do on fanning the flames. Everything we do is haphazard. Threw out a tweet earlier tonight saying, "Hey." We're doing a podcast tonight. <laughs> Any <notice>. questions? <laughs> because it literally like an hour before we started recording because we figured we didn't have anything to talk about. We did a pretty good job, though, I feel, coming up with stuff to talk about. Yeah. So I feel like we should address the questions that were asked. Um, first one from Dave King. How tough it is to get excited about NBA stuff that happens in August? Answer, incredibly Not tough. Not hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I disagree. It's incredibly tough to get excited about stuff that happens in August. Yes. But... You can still get excited about basketball. It's the month of optimism. The month of optimism from the podcast of optimism. And then the second question from at Espo. Oh, and that's at Dave King NBA in case anybody out there doesn't know who that is. It could be Dave King thing. That's another guy who's on. Fair point. It's actually kind of funny. At Espo says, why are we not friends anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Paul has something against you, Espo, but I love you. Paul just made a look. No comment. Paul loves you too, just for the record. He's just he's just angry because I continue to offer his job to you. When I say job, I use that term very loosely. Anyway, all right, Paul, any last parting thoughts before we sign off from okay. this episode of Fan in the Flames? Can we go get those mozzarella sticks now? Yeah, dude, let's do that. Seriously, want it? Let's go. <laughs> Sweet. All right, so Paul and I are going to get mozzarella sticks. Y'all can do whatever you're going to do depending on when you're doing it, right? Yeah. Um, catch me on Twitter. I'm at so says Jay Paul at Dervish of World, and the pod is at Fan the Flames NBA. And until next time, depending on when you're listening, have yourself a good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. My foot fell asleep. Just wanted-